welcome, welcome, and hello, beautiful souls to you uplifted and happy Monday. Whether you are a first time listener or whether you've been listening to the show from the first episode, you uplifted is a place where open hearts and open minds can come together to talk about and discover new ways in which to heal, grow, and fully step into their true potential and power. There is so much room to learn and grow and observe and heal and I've been blessed to have wonderful guests on the show and continue to have them as I go on with this beautiful endeavor of mine and so I hope that this is of true service to you and that it lights up your heart the way that it does mine. Now, my name is Safa. I am your host and I am an intuitive healer as well as a women's health and wellness life coach. And I've got such a beautiful treat for you today. This particular episode is near and dear to my heart for many reasons. The first one is I was blessed enough to be able to talk to one of my favorite people in this whole wide world. Her name is Nikki Eisenhower. And the second is, well, as an empath, and an HSP myself, this just was my jam. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about my guest, Nikki Eisenhower, M-E-D, LPC, LCDC, is a licensed professional psychotherapist, international life coach, yoga teacher, and survivor of childhood abuse. She believes in the power of healing, self-compassion, personal psychology, spirituality, motivation, and change. She also believes in intuition, honesty, imperfection, moving through emotion, getting obstacles out of the way, and crafting a proud, light, and joy-filled life. She is the host of the Emotional Badass podcast, which if you haven't listened to, I highly recommend, where she spreads her message of healing and self-compassion to those in need. As I said, Nikki truly is one of my favorite people in this whole world, and she has so much passion and so much knowledge for her work. So I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to let her do the talking. <laughs> Here is the wonderful Nikki. All right. Welcome, Nikki. How are you doing today? Hello. I am well, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's not just an honor, but like a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm just so, so excited and been looking to this. I'm looking forward to this for so, so long. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so, I'm so glad we scheduled it and we're finally doing it. Good. I know, me too. Well, Nikki, um, I adore you, but my listeners don't necessarily know who you are. So would you give us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. Every time I give this little spiel, I think I say it differently because I, what I do is always sort of evolving. But I started my career as a psychotherapist in addiction. I specialize in grief, codependency, uh, childhood trauma with adults. So I'm an intuitive healer. That's sort of the space I've moved into in about the last five years to get kind of out of that clinical healthcare setting and really do the work with highly sensitive people and survivors that I feel called to do. And that's a little more um, intuition growing. Um, I help a lot of people find the difference between intuition and anxiety mm -hmm. uh, and to make peace with sort of their superpowers of sensitivity. So many of us grow up 
getting all kinds of negative messages about being highly sensitive. And I'm a highly sensitive person. And, you know, I have a psychology degree, I have a master's in counseling, and high sensitivity was not something that I was taught in school. It's something that I've had to figure out on my own outside of all of that education. So I know how hard it is to really find that and figure ourselves out. So I started a podcast a few years ago too. So I am the host of Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. Love the podcast, by the way. For those of you who haven't listened, you totally have to. (laughs) Well, thank you, ma'am. And you have been a guest on there talking about intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. So that was very lovely. So yeah, now I'm here on your show. So congratulations (laughs) on your new show. It's awesome. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It just was so fun. And um, like I said, it's been sort of a spirit child idea and hope of mine for a very long time. And it took a lot of just movement and fluidity in my life to finally make it happen. So it's, it's just great. And I'm definitely honored to have you on the show, like I said. Um, but I love, I love that you say and you speak to how your own path has shifted and transmuted because I feel as though I've undergone something similar on my end, you know, and I talk about it all the time on the show, how it's gone from yoga teacher to nutrition based to intuitive healer, (laughs) you know, like all the steps that you kind of go through as the universe kind of lays out the path for you or kind of gives you these little guides or, or lays you out until you finally go, okay, okay, I get it. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I don't think we can fight the path. You know, I think we surely we have choice, but it does sort of unfold. Like I definitely look at my own progression uh, in my career and as a human being. And when I, when I look back, I can see that I, there's no way I could have planned for where I am now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's such an unfolding. Uh, And for those of us that have control issues, uh, I like to joke that highly sensitive people, we all sort of sit on a continuum of particular to controlling. (laughs) (laughs) So like kind of depending on kind of where we sit there, we're we're also like learning to let go of control of how we Mm -hmm. think it's supposed to be or whatever that old vision and idea was as we're walking towards it, it might shift or we might be called in a different direction. And I think in a lot of ways, 2020 is sort of the embodiment of that for a lot of us that no matter what our plans were, no matter whether we're entrepreneurs or not, we've had to just pivot and just stop and things aren't going the way we expected or we planned or we wanted. And we're having to really meet ourselves in that space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was saying the other day, actually, it's funny that you brought that up because I was having a conversation with my partner and I was just telling him how it feels to me. Not only that this has been a cleansing year, I've been saying that literally since January, the second we went to Hawaii and the wind wouldn't stop blowing, I was like, oh, this is going to be a cleansing year. But not only that, but that it's a lean into grace moment. You know, we're having this space where we're having to lean into grace and it's definitely it's it's a lot of internal asking you know from us mm-hmm. because we're creatures who are used to our organized quote unquote like life in our boxes and putting everything into the way that we want it to be and you know thinking that there is that elusive control so asking us to go past that and lean into grace this year i think for many of us has been uniquely challenging, but I'm hoping also uniquely uplifting and healing. Absolutely. Yes. Like before we started this call, 
I was working on a lesson in one of my courses. I'm adding a lesson to my smaller soul care course about waiting. Mm. I think as sensitive people, we really don't like waiting. We oh, feel girl, uncom- I don't. Yeah, we feel uncomfortable. And if we come from childhood chaos or childhood trauma, for sensitive people, you know, the waiting periods were really uncomfortable. You know, a lot of us have a, a, an anxiety relationship with waiting where we're waiting mm-hmm. for the other shoe to drop. So this year, I think, is really putting that in our faces in ways that none of us wanted, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But the opportunity within this discomfort is really to lean in and to grow into, oh, my ego doesn't like this. I had plans. I had a vision for this. I wanted this to go a certain way this year. Oh, I don't get to have that. What's it, what's it like for me to just let go and to pivot and to go with the flow of that instead of fighting that? Mm-hmm and allowing it and learning how to self-soothe through that waiting time. A lot of us also have this sort of production, um, performance-based self-worth and self-esteem, where we only really feel good about ourselves if we're producing and making and getting Mm -hmm. approval. And so this year, I think is really challenging a lot of us to pull back and really do some deep, deep healing and cleansing work about what does it really mean to love myself? What does it mean to move through in my own world with my own visions, the ways that I want to move through and also meeting myself in the energy of this year. How interesting, because as you say that, it's so clear to me how it's almost as if the whole universe is just giving us a moment to say, hey, you've been in a very unbalanced state of the space of the masculine for a very long time. And you've prioritized these things that though they could have been so empowering and so sacredly masculine to you, they've become depleting and just Mm -hmm. deteriorating so much of of you. Mm -hmm. Why not take the time now to tap into the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine so that you can refurbish, retransition, transform Transform, transmute that idea of that the only thing that's sort of worth taking the space of value in our society is that aggressive push or the go, 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 or all of the ideas that we've been holding on to so deeply for so long that right now are very topsy turvy. Oh, absolutely. That resonates with me. I felt mm-hmm. as an, I've been working for myself since 2009. Um, and I've, I've always felt that something about being in business is very much of my masculine side. And that's not a sexist comment. That's, a, that's the energy of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes forward. It plows forward. And our, our feminine energy holds space. We're the receivers. You know, so I think for, for feminine women that are in entrepreneurial space, it does become really important to think about those energies. And to understand the the balance of that and when we need to like lean in to that masculine, like go for it, go after it. And then that feminine, let me allow mm-hmm. and sit back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the power that is in the balance of those two. But I mean, that is going to have to be a whole new show that you and I do and get <laughs> deeper into all of the things regarding both of, you know, the, what would you call it, the uh, archetypes of the sacred feminine and the masculine, because there's so much that goes into that. However, for today, I do want to go so much deeper with you 
into a topic that I know is near and dear to our hearts because we are this, and that is empaths, right? Yes, we so are. So would you, yeah, we totally are empaths, you and I. Um, would you talk to us about what it means to be an empath and how it's different from simply having empathy or being empathetic? Okay. So highly sensitive people, okay. what science is starting to prove is that as highly sensitive people, we have different nervous systems and science is starting to be able to measure this because this is all very emotional. It's very hippy dippy. It's very esoteric. We can't really, in the ways that modern society wants to validate things scientifically, it's very difficult to even start to consider how we might measure emotion or something like empathy. I don't know how we ever really will be able to really control for and measure these things in a way that makes science happy. Okay. But science is starting to find some structure, some measurable things inside of our highly sensitive and empathic bodies that's proving that we have more mirror neurons. And those are the neurons, and I'm not great at describing the scientific stuff, but my sort of kindergarten way of understanding this is that when we're hanging out with a little baby, right, one of the things we naturally and instinctively do is we smile at that baby to get that baby to smile back at us, right? The reason that that baby smiles when we smile is because that baby's mirror neurons sees my face smiling and reflects it back. Highly sensitive people and then empaths, what they're starting to prove is that we have more mirror neurons than the average person. So what that means is that we're sort of seeing and observing with our mirror neurons, not just with our eyeballs, but with with these, these parts of our brain that reflect. And so if we see more and take more in, it makes a certain amount of sense to me that we would also develop feeling and sensing more empathy because we're observing in a very nuanced way since we're small children. The difference between highly sensitive people and empaths is sometimes hard to define and hard to feel out. If you're highly, so every empath is highly sensitive. Not every highly sensitive person is an empath. Mm-hmm. One way to think about this is that there's high sensitivity And then empaths are kind of like high sensitivity 2.0. Yeah. Right? Like kind of like just more so. Mm -hmm. So a highly sensitive person may have a lot of sensory sensitivity. So might an empath. And that might be temperature. That might be fabrics. That might be really having um, a sensitivity to how clothes sit on your body. I don't like the wind on my skin, Mm -hmm. even if I'm hot sound can really overwhelm me. So in our high sensitivity, it's not just about emotion. It's about how does this body, this thing that carries me around, how does it process sensory information? And we're processing that with more awareness, with more attention than the average person. And that's part of why we get so tired. Because the average person is walking through a grocery store like, oh yeah, where's the cereal? And they're glancing at things. Our system is taking in every color, every word, (laughs) every box, all at the same time. So we're having to wade through more sensory information. 
And in the way that if me and an, and an average feeler are trying to walk through waist deep water, that may be a good idea of how it feels to be a highly sensitive person sometimes. That we're wading through so much sensory information. The average person doesn't understand that about us. We don't even understand that about us. That's why I'm so passionate about this work. Because if I want other people in the world to relate to me, to understand me, to respect me, I've got to be able to understand me and to respect me. The difference in being an empath is that as an empath, I am not just sensing my world. I'm also highly attuned to sensing what other human beings are feeling. So the average highly sensitive person, they may notice and empathize Oh, that person over there is having a hard time. Oh, I can feel that in my heart. We empathize with that. There's an equality to empathizing. How I remember it is empathy starts with an E. We empathize. There's something even or equal about that. Sympathy is kind of pitying. Like nobody wants somebody's sympathy, right? Because that's kind of below. It's not the same as empathizing. It's like, oh, I feel sorry for you. Sympathy, S. That's how I remember that. And that's not what we want as empaths. And it's not what we do as empaths. It's not that we feel sorry for people. We feel often what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And that can feel really crazy before we have a name for that. And I'm from New Orleans. Maybe that's why I use the grocery store so much, food. But, you know, food, I think, is, you know, the grocery store is where we all go. Nobody doesn't go to the grocery store. Maybe mm-hmm. now we get it delivered, but we've all had that experience. So if, if we're around people in a mundane setting like the grocery store, I might walk past somebody who's really sad. Maybe they just lost their dog or their husband. And if I don't understand that I'm an empath, I'm going to feel a wave of sadness. And I'm going to feel really crazy. Why am I sad? I wasn't sad before. Wow, I really need a mood stabilizer. Mm -hmm. And then if I go see a psychiatrist, because my moods are all over the place, I'm going to get medicated for something that doesn't need medication. Mm -hmm. It needs understanding. And it needs strength training to understand how to hold ourselves and respect ourselves. So as an empath, I can feel what's going on with other people very often. I'm also an intuitive. So some empaths may identify as being intuitive. There are different types of empaths. Some empaths are animal empaths. The way that I might feel another human being and have a lot of insight and depth understanding to that person's process, another person can understand that about an animal because they're an animal empath. Other people feel like a connection with nature. And I would say I am growing my sort of natural when it comes to nature, like my natural empathic qualities. Because as I age, I keep getting into plants more and more and more. And as I grow my relationship with myself and with my plants, I can sense more, oh, this one's thirsty. Oh, this one needs more light. Oh, this one needs less light. And I don't quite know how to tell another human being how I know that. I don't quite know how that information comes to me. It's just something my system senses. Maybe it's the field of the heart that's picking it up. Maybe it's part my mind, part my experience. I think it's the combination of everything that I am. But it's very important to understand if we're empaths, 
what's going on there and to dive in and learn more about it so that we can advocate for ourselves. When I'm out in the world and I, I cry very easily as a highly sensitive person. So if I see a baby smile at me, I might tear up. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn how to respect myself in that space. And the truth is most of us don't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So old me would go, oh, I'm sorry. I cry too much. I'm weird. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, then the new, <laughs> and what I've learned how to do, which is a complete game changer for me, for my self-worth, for my self-esteem, and for how I move through the world and how I ask people to respect me through every encounter. It's very important that I own setting the stage. So now if that happens, instead of just going into awkward mode and trying to shrink and disappear and shame myself before somebody else can shame me or judge Mm me, what I do is I lean into it and I look them right in the face and I say, yeah, I'm okay. I cry and I'm strong. Your child's beautiful. Thank you for sharing his smile with me today. And I watch their confusion because that's not how normal people talk. (laughs) Right? Like, so I've allowed myself to just sit there and know that's going to be an awkward moment for this other person. And what I've watched time and time again, doing that, walking through the world that way, is that that person is confused for a moment and then something clicks and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. And that's how I advocate for sensitivity in the world. Like that is me, as corny as it sounds, being the change I want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. And if we want to be more respected, that starts from us respecting ourselves. Yeah. Does that kind of answer your question? Did I get off course? Yeah, about what no, happened? that was perfect. That was perfect. And it's so, it just makes me smile ear to ear because it's funny. And I think this might be a lot of our stories, those of us who are empathic or who are HSPs. And we did have an earlier episode earlier in the season about HSP. So if you, know, if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and give it a listen. But it's funny because I think a lot of us grow up thinking that that thing which makes us so unique and so tuned in in a different way and that is so just ours can very often as we grow up get either ridiculed or minimized or wronged right yeah and I think that that's a lot of for us where that space comes in because to me and correct me if I'm wrong or if tell me if you have a different opinion on this but to me empaths we have a tendency to people please <laughs> and so in that people pleasing state I think that we get very wrapped up in the pattern of asking for or saying sorry or excuse me for being able to feel and to be this person that we are. Absolutely. I, and and there, a day does not go by where I'm not working with, on people pleasing with people because mm-hmm. if we are the little observers of the world, we are naturally observers because we have this nervous system that sees more than the average person. So we're watching like a hawk, the people around us pretty much from the time we're born. So because we're observing, it's very natural that if I'm a a tender, sweet little girl and I see somebody that's in pain or having a bad day, 
I observe that. And if I go give them a hug and I make them feel better, oh, that made me feel better. I felt my own good feelings of, wow, I have the power to say something positive to someone or to give some love and that made someone feel better. What Mm -hmm. an awesome feeling. Then as an empath, as little kids, and of course we had no idea about this. I didn't know this, that I was doing this. Then I would feel their good feeling Mm -hmm. that I made them better. So there's this double reinforcement of, oh yeah, my role in the world is making other people feel good. If anyone feels bad, I will strap on a cape, fly in and make them feel better. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I I think it's really natural for us to develop people pleasing. And it's not bad to people please. What's bad is that we're not on the list. Yep. Yep. That you hit the nail in the head because it's true. It's one of the biggest points, I think, where we need to be very self-introspective and honest Mm -hmm. and open and vulnerable with ourselves is the fact that we continuously and constantly give so much emphasis and power and externalize so much out there. And we spend very little time putting all of that love and care and attention and tenderness and grace. And I could go on and on within ourselves. You know, we really... And it's so beneficial if we really sit down and treat ourselves like the love of our lives. So much changes because all of a sudden that realization that we are sacred and we are beautiful and that we are just worthy and valuable and so much, it just changes the way in which we embody ourselves out there. And as empaths, I think to me, that's one of the crucial things for us to have because what it does is it reminds us. To me, it's almost like a grounding tool. It reminds us, yes, I can feel all of this. And I may have the sense of, like you said, put on your cape and go rescue, you know, everybody. However, check in first root within yourself, be present with who you are, where you are, what's really going on. And then from there, we can determine kind of what direction to take, you know, versus just getting kind of, I I wouldn't, I'm lacking the actual word, but I can kind of visualize it. It's kind of getting moved around kind of like a ping pong, you know, (laughs) where you are going from saving one person to the next and people pleasing here to the other, but like all the while internally you've just turned your back on everything that you need and everything that your your inner self is clamoring for. Yes. And how many of us have abandonment issues? Oh, and, and, I, my God. and I think what we don't realize there, so it's, it's easy for me to look at my own life and see my abandonment issues. My biological father disappeared on me. That's an easy kind of duh, like obvious. It's a hard thing to miss, whether you've studied psychology or not, that that would give an effect. Mm-hmm. But, I, but what is, let me back up. What I'm saying right now is that in some ways, having a lot of trauma in my life has been a gift for me to be able to see these things. I think it's harder in some ways when someone comes from you know, a pretty, every family has dysfunction, but a pretty low dysfunctional family, there's support, there's always some dysfunction. But I think that's harder for empaths to understand why the hell did I develop as such a people pleaser? I don't come from any super dysfunction. 
And what happens there is I think because of that process I described, that we, we sense and see that other person, what happens is very naturally our eyeballs look outward. We don't really see ourselves. So we mm -hmm. just miss that we're supposed to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Unless another empath or sensitive person steps in and goes, hey, baby girl, what are you doing? You are helping all your friends. What about you? Yeah. What about you? Unless somebody brings that awareness to us, we tend to just operate on what feels good and keep going after it a little bit like an addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is a permission. I see a lot of highly sensitive people beat themselves up when they finally start getting this material. They're like, oh my God, what have I done? Why didn't I figure this out so many years ago? And that's a piece of it too. You would never look as an empath. Most of us would never look at another person and go, wow, you just figured out something big about yourself. Definitely sit there and beat yourself up for a while. <laughs> That's absolutely the right thing to do. <laughs> but we'll sit there and do that to ourselves. So maybe yep. that abandonment wound comes from us not tending to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what so much healing is, is repairing our relationship with ourselves, allowing ourselves to really see with clarity, to sense our intuition versus our anxiety, yeah. and to live from that place. Mm, I love that. And it feels to me also, this is the first time I've thought about this. So if the thought doesn't sound super concrete, you excuse me. I'm just kind of getting to this now as you're talking. It's funny because in the show, I've had other conversations with people about how when we finally give ourselves permission to be what might have been considered or construed as selfish, what mm -hmm. we end up doing is going so deep within ourselves that we realize that we come first, second, and last. But there is a dynamic within that that I think falls in line with, and what made me think about this was you saying that it might be an addiction, that we never would talk to another person the way that we talk to ourselves, but we get some sort of kick, I think, out of being self-martyrizing. It's mm -hmm. almost like if we can make ourselves be slightly depreciated by ourselves, or if we can somehow have that cushion of the martyr, right? Mm -hmm. Then we can alleviate maybe that sense that we... <laughs> that we are being selfish or alleviate some of the tension that we think of, of truly, no, I'm not worthy, but I did this. And now, oh my gosh, how do I kind of like make up for it? Does that make sense? I, like I said, if it's, if it's yes. not excluded, I apologize, but it was the first time I thought about that. <laughs> well, I, I can reflect it back to you and you can tell me if I'm getting what you're trying to say. Great. Part of what I believe I've figured out over the years and a big part of the populations that I have worked with over the years um, have been people who have left um, cults or very strict religious sexts or, mm -hmm. or families, okay? And what I think happens to a lot of us is that a lot of us have been raised in families that have a lot of shame dynamics that come from religion. Mm -hmm. I was raised Catholic. You know, we, we have the term Catholic shame, mm -hmm. you know, as a thing. I don't know that other religions have an actual specific term for it like the Catholics do, <laughs> but we get that. And so I think what happens there is very early on, even when someone looks at a child and goes, oh, good, you put your plate in the sink. Good girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That seems absolutely basic. Most of us were raised with good girl or good boy, bad boy, bad girl. 
Mm -hmm. right? And that right there is where it sits. It's not so much in the abuse where we were, you know, beaten by with bricks or, you know, or anything like that. Certainly it sits in those things, but for sensitive people, it sits in the nuance. So if we start out life with someone going, oh, good girl, mm-hmm. A, what we learn is I'm supposed to please. Yeah. I am good when I please, which sets us up for, I feel bad if I'm not pleasing. Mm-hmm. And that's how most parents, especially I just turned 40, especially of older generations, a little different now and maybe even an overcorrection happening now. But older generations really use that kind of shame and control to guide upbringings. Mm-hmm. So we're breaking that. Oh, sorry. Knocks no, it's okay. We're breaking those old teachings. And in a lot of ways that a lot of our good parents had no idea they were teaching us. Mm -hmm. But these are the side effects from decades and decades and decades, maybe entire lifetimes of humanity of not really valuing emotional intelligence, emotional education, Mm -hmm. self-development, growth work, self-esteem, self-worth. It's all words that we know, but very few of us have had classes in how do you grow those things? And most people have children before they've explored mm-hmm. healing work. Yeah, that's, that's such a big part of it. And then the added element of the minimization of feeling or the, you know, the pushing all emotion to the side, especially where it's concerned to the feminine, you know, mm-hmm. if it's a feminine energy or a person who is female or identifies as female and they're feeling something and they're emotional about something, you know, how often does that get used as a weapon against us as well as this whole dynamic and this whole construct of the good little girl, you know, like be mm-hmm. good. And that kind of chases us into adulthood and it stays as a very deep core wound within our collective psyche because then it negates that wild nature of the divine feminine and it negates the ability to embody who we are freely without feeling like if we put even just one foot out of line, we're no longer good. And that means we are terrible human beings. And now we're going to, you know, have to self-martyrize, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it is just so powerful and potentially an even bigger point for us empaths because it's the fact that we feel so much, but we get negated and asked to not, to not feel it, to not speak about it, to mm-hmm. not be the weirdo. To stop it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. to stop it, to mm-hmm. just not exaggerate. Oh, you know, that's that's one of the big ones for me that is like, oh, you're just exaggerating. Uh, nope. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling this. Or being overly dramatic. You know, the, the words that get used kind of as weapons against what we are experiencing, which to me is so much... <sighs> so much more connected to the spiritual, you know, as well, where it's in the reason I say that is because it allows for the freedom of fluidity of energies, which goes so much deeper than we even understand ourselves. Yes. Hmm. I love that, Nikki. Let me ask you something. What are some, now that we're kind of moving a little bit toward this direction in the conversation, what are some of the biggest misconceptions around being empathic? 
I think that you're, I think the, the fear in owning high sensitivity and the judgments that we get are that it's weak. I think that is the biggest fear and misconception and a big mm -hmm. part of why I wanted to do emotional badass and kind of get out of the, the four therapy walls mm -hmm. so that I could, I could spread this information a little bit bigger than just one person at a time. It takes so much strength to allow ourselves to have our emotions <laughs> without shame. Yeah. It, it, it is the strongest thing in the world. And, and I believe that, um, okay, so this is important for me to say out loud. Um, I also think in this space that we're in, this healing, intuitive, coaching type space, it's so heavily feminine. Mm -hmm. I do lots of work with men and I love men. Mm -hmm. And I think as hard as this has been for females, the men, particularly straight men who have mm -hmm. grown up highly sensitive, especially of generations before, have really, like if we've gotten the messages as women to mm -hmm. don't cry, stop it, toughen up, come on. Oh yeah. Wow, the messages that some of my highly sensitive men have gotten or the beatings they've gotten from other boys growing up for being sensitive mm -hmm. have really, really, really shut them down and off and made them feel like they're, they're wrong or that they don't have a right to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. It takes so much strength to allow our emotionality. And it takes strength to step into respecting ourselves and then really putting our foot down. And I'm going to use the word demanding. Mm -hmm. I would say at this point in my life, I demand respect or I'm just not going to do it with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a strength. That is a strength. So there is nothing weak about you having emotion. The truth is that because we are so deficient, like we know that most of Americans are um, vitamin D deficient, right? Sure. I would say that most Americans are emotionally deficient in emotional expression. Mm -hmm. We can get angry. That's part of why we're seeing what we're seeing with protests and riots and police. And we are allowed to not show emotion or to be pissed. Yeah, I think definitely anger gets a little bit glorified. You know, uh -huh. just like well, powerful. Strength, yeah, just like strength in an aggressive form gets glorified. I think anger does too, because we never or very rarely do we ever hear someone go, oh, wow, they're crying and being completely vulnerable. That is amazing. No, it's usually the opposite. The anger is the one that doesn't really get pushed down. It's the don't cry. You're going to ruin your makeup or don't cry. You're looking like a, you know, like a puny person, etc. Yes. Yes. Well, and I can say this about high sensitivity too, because this is an important point. There are highly sensitive people and a subset of those highly sensitive people are high sensation seeking. I mm -hmm. am of that type. Mm -hmm. For a lot of sensitive people, that is extremely confusing. And to myself, um, I've had people tell me I am a conundrum um, wrapped in an enigma. And I think that's true of a highly sensitive person who's high <laughs> sensation seeking because yeah. I don't want the wind on my arm, on my arms, yet I've jumped out of a plane. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really <laughs> hard to make sense of this stuff for ourselves and then learning how to advocate for ourselves with other people. So I've had to learn to advocate in dating and in partnering to be able to say to people, yeah, don't make assumptions about me. You really got to ask. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you think you've got me figured out, you, it's not going to make sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. (laughs) Yeah, that high sensation seeking type, that's often the people who have experimented with drugs. Mm -hmm. And that's very confusing. I see a lot of sensitive people with a lot of shame. How can I say I'm so sensitive on one hand, but then I've also done these dangerous things or I've had a lot of one night stand sex or I've I've done these behaviors that were were not good for me. That Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. It does if you start to understand high sensation seeking. And that we're trying to change our states when we're highly sensitive. A big common thing that I hear that trips up a lot of sensitive people is that when they feel badly, they sit down and they try to figure out what they haven't done or what they have done that is to blame for their state. Mm -hmm. That is a losing game. Yep. That is a losing game because in that moment, we're going into some of that good girl stuff. Oh, I did something bad. I feel bad. Therefore, I must have done something bad. A more evolved, mature way of being that we grow into in this work is being able to sit with ourselves and understand in a moment where I just feel shitty. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to what did I do wrong? We're overly responsible as a tribe. Yeah. And so that'll hit us right there in the, I must have done something wrong. Because if I'm responsible for it, I can change it. I can control it. Instead of being able to have some comfort and grow into a practice of, oh, I feel badly today. Today's just an off day. Why? Because I'm human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I rest and I'm good to myself, I'll probably feel a little different in a few hours or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's very different than the story of what's wrong with me. When am I ever going to not feel this way? How much do I have to do in my life to be able to feel okay? I hate my sensitivity. And in that moment, we're fighting ourselves. Yeah. And if our nervous system's fight or flight has been kicked off, that's just going to make our anxiety 10, 100, 1,000 times worse. Mm -hmm. So learning how to really hold ourselves with self-compassion and understanding is key. Yeah. It's that self grace. I I love that. That speaks so deeply to me because I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> oh that. yeah. I mean that that's why I know this stuff. So <laughs> anyone hearing me talk, please do not hear this as I do this perfectly. Mm-hmm. None of us will ever do it perfectly, but I, I can promise you that the hard work that it takes because I know that it feels very overwhelming and sometimes impossible to walk this path. Sure. But it does get easier. It really does get easier. It gets easier for multiple reasons. I'm 40. That means I've just been on the planet long enough to have learned some lessons. Mm-hmm. And I see some of my younger sisters out there at 22, 25, really expecting themselves to have 40 years of wisdom instead of really being okay right. with their 25. Mm-hmm. If you keep walking this path of listening to your gut, of frankly clearing out the chaos and the bullshit and the people pleasing, you will get exactly where you want to go because where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be nowhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that honoring, that honoring, that grace, that space, that presence. I just love that so much. I have like a billion more questions that I want to ask you, but let me, See if I can take the conversation here just before we have to like end it, you know? Okay. Uh, As empaths, one thing that was very 
interesting to me when I finally was able to say, oh, I'm not only am I an empath, but I'm an HSP. <laughs> like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. double whammy. And then I'm intuitive on top of that, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that was new to me and that actually helped me a lot in relating to myself and the world around me with, em- with being an empath was the fact that we do often either take on too much external energy which is why we do grounding and shielding, right? Or we end up attracting very specific characters, right? Say energy vampires, narcissists, etc. So my question to you is in that space, what are some of the tools that you would recommend for an empath, an HSP, or one who's both (laughs) to set those internal boundaries and to spot or identify when these things have come about and maybe even to stop the cycle because it can become very cyclical as well. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this is my passion. I believe that boundaries are everything if we want sanity, if we want calm, and if we want peace as highly sensitive people. And what a lot of people believe boundaries are at first is kind of like hand on the hip, like wagging a finger at somebody else, like, this is my line. You better watch this line, buddy. That is not what a boundary is. How do you feel yourself? Because your own intuition goes, nope, uh uh-uh. And because we've been pushing it down and dismissing it for a lifetime, our pushing down and dismissing it muscles are really strong our pay attention and listen to it muscles are pretty atrophied. If we're really honest about what we can feel in our bodies when we're not cut off like talking heads, I can feel my body ovulate. If I really meditate and focus and get quiet, I can pay attention to my blood pumping. It's a, it's a permission to go, okay, I have this intuitive tool inside of me. How do I listen to it? Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that we need guides for this work. Now that's tricky. People pay me to work with me. So you can hear that as a sales pitch, but we need guides. I've needed a guide. Like Mm -hmm. my major guide in my life is Lisa Tahir. She has a show. It's called all things therapy. And I think of her as a spiritual mother. I've had lots of spiritual mothers. And I know that some people think of me as a spiritual mother or a mentor or a guide because without a human being to help model these things for us and to help point some things out, We wind up in information overload, Mm -hmm. reading every book, watching every YouTube video, listening to every podcast. And really what we need as empaths is we don't need more time in our heads. Right. You know, we are, that muscle is strong. If anything, we have to practice kind of connecting with others and, and sort of testing out and using the information that we're learning. So internal boundaries to be able to start feeling, oh, that was my body saying no. Or, ooh, my body said no and my mouth said yes. And now here I am (laughs) stuck. Mm -hmm. I've yesed my way into a corner and now I don't know how to get out. This is a very hard thing for empaths. It was very hard for me too. Mm -hmm. Because we get so many messages, we think we're about 15 to 20% of the population as highly sensitive people. What that means is that 80 to 85 of the population, 80 to 85% of the population has been giving us messages about how to do life. (laughs) That don't work for us. It works for them, sort of, but it doesn't work for us. So a big piece that freed me up to be able to give myself the boundaries that I really needed was I had to accept that I am not like other people. 
And the goal is not me becoming like other people. The goal is me becoming me. That means I got to listen to myself on a really deep level. And I had to admit that because of my life, I had been trained out of naturally being able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, perhaps this is something that we've also been taught. And I say perhaps, but I, I mean, we have. Yes, definitely. I've been taught to not seek help. But listen, as much as we can learn from ourselves and as much as I love self-introspection and spending time really paying attention and listening and all of these things, there is always going to be the need for that teacher, you know, or that person who's going to be able to say, wait, 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 why, why are you spinning down this rabbit hole? Hold on, pause, observe. Let me ask you this question. Have you considered this, that, the other? You know, that's so I think of this as an abuse of science. I think be because science has wanted to measure everything and, and we don't want to do anything until science proves it as a society, True. that it has absolutely on the natural way that humans have learned since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. We learn by looking to our elders and then passing on information through story. So we need those, those people in our worlds that we're not related to that have no sort of agenda for what we're going to do in life or what we're not going to do. Mm -hmm. Because our friends and family, even when they are, their hearts are in the right place and they are, are well-intentioned, again, if it's a 15, 20% that we are mm -hmm. versus 80, 85%, most of the messages we're going to get from the general public are about what works for them, right. not what works for me. It did not work for me to, to walk a life that I was told I was supposed to, getting married very young, expecting to have children coming from the South very young. Mm -hmm. That did never work for me. It felt like swimming upstream. It felt wrong, but I didn't know how to honor what I was feeling. I knew how to shut up and act like everything's okay because that's what everyone around me wanted. That's what made everyone around me comfortable. So there is this acceptance piece of having to accept, ooh, if I've had a life of making other people comfortable by shutting myself down, the people around me, maybe they might love me, but they might not cheer for me or clap or be really supportive when I start going, hey, yeah, all that yesing I used to do for you, I have to tell you no <laughs> yep. now. Yeah. So that it also forces us to be seekers. So I don't know if it's chicken or the egg, but it's why so many of us are seekers. I am going to walk a path in this life I already have and I expect to continue to. Mm -hmm. where I shed more people than the average person. I outgrow. Yeah. And that is super okay. A lot of us come from this mentality. I call it sorority and like fraternity mentality where we're going to meet somebody at 20 and we're going to be friends with them till we're dead. That's ridiculous. But it's a subconscious belief a lot of us are operating on. And I see a lot of seekers hurt deeply feeling that something's wrong with them because they look at that sort of fraternity sorority mindset in, that a lot of people have in their communities. And they both don't want that because it's too overwhelming. It's too much, but they also feel like something's wrong with them that they don't have that or that they don't want it mm -hmm. or they don't know how to get it. So allowing yeah. people to come and go, allowing ourselves to have different seasons, allowing us to see ourselves as snakes who shed skins mm -hmm. as we grow and to have a comfortability. The only way we do that is by seeing other people that we respect and that we know respect us 
do that. I had to witness my main healer doing things that people I was related to and people who were around me would never do. Yeah. Because she was doing this deep work. And it was spiritual that the universe connected me with her. And the people that show up for me, that's spiritual very often. That's beautiful. I love it, Nikki, because it's true. And that gives us permission to grow and move and shift, even within our relationships, which I think a lot of times is what keeps us stuck, you know, stuck to not just people, but jobs, situations. Yes. And so the idea that it has to be permanent, just because that's the idea we have, that can be very damaging. Very, very. I'm going to get married for a third time. No, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Didn't plan for that. Certainly as a young girl, I thought, oh, people are crazy. They get married more than once. So this path really challenges us to shed even our own judgments about ourselves. And the validation, because we don't get that externally. Usually it's, no, you got married, you're stuck forever. Uh Uh-huh. You know? Most people, especially Americans, are very adverse to change. Oh, yeah. And as sensitive people, part of what I can encourage is allow the change that you need instead of fighting it. Mm-hmm. even if no one around you in your immediate circle needs that kind of change. That's how I got all the way to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I had a thriving therapy practice. Couldn't accept more clients, was full. But the mountains were calling me. Most people in my life told me I was insane mm-hmm. for leaving Houston and going to Denver. I had to really pull into my gut and go, no, this is right for me, even if no one understands it. And it's absolutely been right for me because I followed my gut. So we get a lot out of letting go. When other people have doubt, I try to let them have it, but it's not mine. And that's a really big tool in the tool belt for a highly sensitive person, especially an empath. Mm -hmm. Be able to look at the world and feel that judgment coming in, feel that doubt, that questioning, that who do you think you are that you can get divorced judgment. And just go, that's theirs. That belongs to them. Mm-hmm. I don't have to take it. As children, we had to take it. We didn't have a choice. That to me is the, the beauty and the freedom that's available in adulthood. Mm-hmm. That's adulting to me is that, oh, I get to choose. That is my empowerment. I choose oh, what yeah. comes in and I choose what I kick out. Mm-hmm. Oh. Nikki, that's that's powerful, and I love it. And then from there, I'm going to ask you just two last questions before I let you go because we're definitely okay. running low on time. The first one is, what would be your last like advice to the listeners on how to become empowered and uplifted? And then when you're done with that, if you could just tell us where we can find you and work with you and all of that. Awesome, awesome. How to be empowered as an empath is to open up to the work of getting to know yourself, but don't choke on the information. Like don't try to eat an entire pie all at the same time, you'll get sick. It's the same with this information. So pace yourself and feel the natural pacing of it. Try to surround yourself with other sensitive people and empaths, but not just sensitives and empaths that speak the right words, the ones that actually show you in action that they're walking the walk and they're practicing what they preach. Wow. If there's a book I can recommend, it's probably The Four Agreements as a real grounding, simplified way of being in the world that we can shoot almost any situation 
through are those four agreements. You can find me on Instagram at Nikki Eisenhower. Um, you can also find me at emotionalbadass.com. That's where you can find all of my show episodes. You can find our store. You can buy an Emotional Badass t-shirt. You can download our meditations that are stripped kind of from all the sound if you just want to listen to them. There's all kinds of goodies I have for you. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash emotionalbadass. Um, yeah, and you're welcome to check out my websites and work with me in any capacity. Awesome. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, really, it's just always such a joy to talk to you. So I'm really, really glad you were able to do this. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. All right, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that interview and that you gained some much needed perspective and knowledge. I know I did and just such a joy again to be able to do this. So if you have questions about empaths or HSP, or if you want to share stories about being an empath or an HSP or an even high sensation seeking HSP, or if you just want me to go deeper into this or talk, please email me info at nourishingpaths.com. As always, you can find me on Instagram at nourishing underscore paths. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a rating and uplifting review because this is how other people find the show as well. So share the love. And I think that's it. <laughs> I will talk to you all next Monday. Have a beautiful, beautiful week. 